Philippians, not Ephesians. We're not, we're not covering Ephesians. That might, next summer, maybe we'll go through the book of Ephesians. This summer, we're going to finish up Philippians, though. So uh, I told Pastor Dick when, when we walked through what passage we were going to cover what week, I said, man, I, I hate it that I'm not going to be able to cover. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture that he covered last week. And so I kind of cheated. You want to know what I did? I, I preached last weekend at my home church, the church I grew up in, and I, pre- I preached that passage last week. So I didn't miss a week. I, I kept right through the series. So I preached Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 last week. And so this week we're going to pick it up, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. So if you want to flip over there in your Bible, you certainly can. Uh, just to, as a bit of a recap, remember, uh, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi from uh, prison. He was under arrest in Rome. And so he's writing to them and he's encouraging them because they were a good church. They didn't have problems like some of the other churches that he had started had. He didn't, they didn't have problems like the church at Corinth had. They didn't have some of the issues that the church at Ephesus had. And so when he writes to the church at Philippi, <clears throat> he's not writing to correct behavior or, or correct doctrine. He's writing and encouraging them. He's saying, you're doing a pretty good job, but don't be satisfied with be, be a good job. It's not enough just to do a good job. You need to desire more than that. And that's really, as we walk through the book of Philippians, that's what we see over and over and over again, that that Paul is saying, good enough is not good enough. You have to want more from God and be growing in your walk with God. And if you're not, there's something wrong. And and if you look, let me start in verse 12. It says, um, not that I have already obtained this. And so right with that verse, you go, okay, obtained what? Well, so let's go back. Paul in verses 1 through 11, I'm not going to re-preach it, I promise. In verses 1 through 11, he lists off his spiritual resume. Here's all the things I'd accomplished for God. Here's all the good things I had done. Here's everything that I had done. But basically in the cosmic scale of, of, of balances, he says, I've realized that compared to knowing Christ Jesus, they're worthless. It compared to, if you had a profit and loss statement, if you have a business or you do the checkbook at your house, uh, you, you might know what a profit and loss statement is. You've got a column for your profit, you've got a column for your losses, and then you figure out what the value is, right? And so uh, what Paul's saying is, I counted all these things in the profit column. I was, uh, I was a, a Pharisee, I was a Jew, I did all these things, I kept the law, I was, I was righteous under the law. He, he listed it all out. And he said, but I realized all that was in the profit column needed to be shifted to the loss column because of Jesus, because all of it's trash compared to knowing Jesus. That's the most important thing, more than our religious acts, more than, than um, teaching a Sunday school class or showing up every week to church or doing all these religious things. He said it's more important to know Jesus. And then that last part is what really gets me when he says, and to know him and the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain resurrection from the dead. And that portion leads right into this where he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And the word perfect there in verse 12, it, it can also be translated as mature. So what he's saying is, um, hey, I'm doing the best I can, but I haven't got it all figured out. Now, what I just said that from verses 1 through 11, he said, hey, I, I've done pretty good, but I'm still not perfect. I'm still not mature in Christ. I'm still growing in Christ. Aren't you thankful 
that, that there's not a point we get to in our relationship with Christ where we go, okay, I've attained perfection, like nobody talk to me, nobody look at me, nobody make eye contact because I'm, I'm at the pinnacle, right? Like the mountaintop, and here it is. Like we are continually growing in our walk with Christ. We're continually moving forward in our relationship with him, and if we're not, there's something wrong. And this is what Paul's saying. Hey, I, I'm, I've started this church, I'm leading this church, but I'm still not perfect. I'm still being matured. I'm still growing in my walk with Christ. And he says, but I press on to make it my own. What is, he, what is he making his own? Maturity in Christ. He says, I'm still pressing forward, trying to develop and trying to grow and trying to become the man of God that he wants me to become. And he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And he said, because Jesus Christ has bought me with a price, because of that, with that knowledge, I move forward until I'm mature in him. Realizing the price he paid for me, I realize that I have to move forward. I can't stop with just saying, hey, I get to go to heaven. I punched my card. I'm going to heaven. That's not enough. Verse 13 says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward that lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we've heard this verse, uh, if you've been around church, you've probably heard this verse before, and a lot of times we use this verse in relationship to our past, and we talk about past failings, we talk about uh, hurt, we talk about pain, we talk about those things and say, hey, you've got to forget about what lies behind and press on toward lies ahead, because God's got a great future for you, and that's absolutely true. We have to lay that hurt behind us, we have to lay that pain behind us and move on. If we're going to extend grace to others, we have to extend grace to ourselves and say, okay, you know what? I'm going to lay this hurt down. I'm not going to carry this pain with me in order to move forward. But when we look at it in context, and Paul's talking about his spiritual resume, and he's talking about all the great things he did and religious acts he did in verses 1 through 11, we see, I don't think he's just talking about hurts and pains. I think he's talking about even the good stuff we've done. I think Paul's saying, even the religious acts that you feel like make God owe you, you need to forget about that. You need to lay it aside. And you can't take that with you and say, okay, God, you owe me. Because I went to church and I listened to one of Mel's sermons on podcast this week. So, man, God, you owe me big time. I had to listen to him twice, right? Or we say, God, I, I put a tip in the box as I left the church, so now you owe me big time. And that's what we think we do. But we have to lay that aside and go, no, no, no. That's not what it's about. What it's about is saying, I'm moving forward. I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize, on the goal. And that's what he says. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, let me ask you this. Um, how many of you watch the World Cup? Anybody watch the World Cup? <laughs> like five of you. <laughs> okay. Apparently, it was made up for in other parts of the world. It was shocking to me, and I saw a whole bunch of people say this, uh, but the World Cup final was viewed on television by about one of every nine people on planet Earth. One of every nine on the planet watched the World Cup final, which was crazy to me. It's shocking. Um, during the World Cup final, it was, um, it was Argentina versus Germany, and uh, I was rooting for Argentina. I liked one of their players. Germany was a fantastic team, but one of the things I couldn't help but do, I was watching this game by myself because my girls didn't care. They weren't going to watch it with me, so they're upstairs playing. My wife is in another room, and I'm sitting in the living room. I'm watching this game, and it's just me by myself, but every time the announcer said a German player's name, I don't know why, I felt compelled to repeat it out loud with a German accent. <clears throat> 
You can't tell me if you were watching, you weren't tempted to do the same thing, a little bit. And so they'd, here's the pass from Schweinsteiger, and I'd go, Schweinsteiger! Right, I would just, <clears throat> it was like I was an extra on Stalag 17 or Hogan's Heroes or something, I don't know. I just felt compelled to do it. But there was no doubt, if you watched any of those games, there was no doubt when a player scored. They knew they scored. Why? Well, the, the ball would go in the net, and the net would fly, and then the next thing would happen. It wasn't like they would just go, okay, and walk back to their place. They would start pointing at their chest, out of the pool, and they would hug guys. They would jump up and down. They would be freaking out. And then if you look in the stands, the stands were even worse. There were grown men painted from head to toe, like jumping up and down, hugging each other, like craziness. Why? Because the goal had been achieved, because they scored. They, they understand what the goal is in soccer. The goal is to put the ball in that goal, right? But sometimes in our spiritual walk, we don't understand what the goal is. We think the goal is just making it to heaven. And Paul's trying to make it clear to the church of Philippi, the goal is not just to get to heaven someday. It's not just to, to make it through the pearly gates and then you celebrate and you start jumping up and down and ah, pointing at your chest. That's not what we're going to do, Okay. That's not what the goal is. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is Paul writing the church at Corinth, verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I, don't, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself sh should be disqualified. He said, I know what I'm running for. I know what the goal is. It's well-defined in Paul's life. It is not just getting to heaven someday. He says, I want to be mature in my walk with Christ. I, I want to become like him. In fact, he's so serious about becoming like Christ that he says, I want to share in not just his resurrection, but in his suffering and in his death. A lot of us want to be like Christ, but we, we're not so sure about the suffering and death part, right? Like, Jesus, I want to be like you, but can we leave that part out? I would rather not include the suffering and the death. The life is good. But Paul says our goal is maturity in Christ. Our goal is to become like him. And sometimes in church, we don't understand the goal either. We think the goal is just getting a full house, but that's not the goal. The goal is to reach lost people, and not just a few. We want to reach as many lost people as possible. We want to reach lost people. We want to draw them to God, and we want to help them grow in their relationship with God. That's what we do this thing for. That's why we have advertisement on the radio. It's not so I get to be on the radio or Pastor Matt gets to be on the radio or one of us gets to do that. That's not it. I don't need that. It, it, that's why we run tele, uh, the newspaper ads, things like that. That's why we do the big outreaches. Why? Is it because we need to do an outreach? No. It's because people matter to God, and we want to reach as many people as possible. So what is the win for us? The win for us as a church is to see people saved, to see people walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ and grow in that relationship and be discipled. That's what the win is. So for us personally, it's, it's having a relationship with God and growing in that relationship. Maturity in Christ has to be the goal. Verse 15, it says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And he said what he just talked about. He said, let us think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And what Paul is saying is, if you think you are mature in Christ, you're probably not nearly as mature as you think you are. It's funny to me that, um, I need to be careful. Um, did you ever notice the people that Jesus had trouble with in the Bible? It wasn't sinners. 
There wasn't a prostitute that he had a problem with. There wasn't a single demon-possessed person he had an issue with. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious people. They thought they had their junk together. They thought they were mature. They thought they knew what to do. And those were the people that caused Jesus the most problems. When we are mature, when we think we're mature in Christ, that's when we need to watch out because we're probably not as mature as we think we are. In fact, Paul says, God's going to reveal to you that you're not as mature as you think you are. Um, God wants us to be mature, not just in our walk with him, but in our relationships with others as well. We'll get to that in just a second. Verse 17 says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, I used to have a problem with this passage of scripture because I thought, man, Paul is encouraging people to take their eyes off Christ and put their eyes on him. And has anybody else ever interpreted scripture that way and you kind of like, ooh, conflicted about it? You're not really sure? Because to be honest with you, for a lot of years, that's how I read that scripture and I wasn't sure about it. But this isn't what Paul's saying at all. He's not saying, um, hey, I've got my junk together, so follow me and you're going to be just fine. If you just act like I act, you're going to be fantastic. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it from a very humble perspective because sometimes when we say, if I said to you, hey, you need to be exactly like Jesus, wouldn't you go, man, that's pretty tough, Right? Like, I have a hard time being a good husband. I have a hard time being nice to my kids some days. Like, how in the world can I be like Jesus in every aspect of my life? And so what Paul's saying is, hey, I've got my issues. I'm not fully mature yet, but you know what? Do your best to follow me as I follow Christ. And he's not trying to set the bar lower, but he's trying to help them understand. You don't have to be perfect in order to become what God wants you to be. You just have to be set on the right course. And he's saying, I'm walking the right course. Why don't you follow me? And hey, we're going to mess up. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. We're going to be in this thing together. And we're all going to grow in this thing together. And that is what Paul's saying. He's not saying, if you just act like me, your life's going to be perfect. And so a lot of times, as the leaders of this church, I love Pastor Dick for his transparency. And he shares his heart. And, and Pastor Matt and some of the different leaders, you know we're not perfect. And we make it very clear we're not perfect. But what we're doing is we're inviting you to join us on this journey. We're not saying, hey, if you just act like us, your life is going to be great. But what we're saying is we're on this journey and we're maturing in our walk with Christ. And we would love for you to join us on this journey, on this road. And if you will, you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some issues. But God is going to grow you and mature you and help you become the person that he wants you to become. Not because we are perfect, but because we're on the journey toward Jesus Christ, becoming what he wants us to be. Have you ever noticed, uh, I was this weekend, I flew to Oklahoma City and then we drove down to San Antonio and saw some family uh, down there. And while we were there, um, my sister-in-law, she's got three kids, um, Cash and Crew and Reese. And Reese is a newborn, she's five weeks old. Um, Crew is two and he's hilarious, chubby cheeks. If you follow my wife on Facebook or Twitter, you've probably seen pictures of this kid. Uh, chubby cheeks and he is just the sweetest kid. Well, he, he's sweet sometimes, sometimes he's, he's, you know, you're checking for the mark of the beast. But, um, <laughs> but that's kids. But it's funny because uh, as a two-year-old, he imitates the grown-ups a lot. Have you ever noticed that? Or like with your family, your kids? I had somebody um, say, hey, you know what? My child, he repeats a lot of things we say. And I said, so if I hear him telling your wife off, I know where he got that from. And he no, 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 that wouldn't happen. But it's funny how many times our kids say things that we say or they do things we do. Why is that? Because they learn, they learn through imitation, they see action and they imitate action. That's how they learn. Does that make sense? Um, I used to drive me crazy when my girls were little. They would watch um, Blue's Clues. Does anybody remember Blue's Clues? Oh, my gosh. It was of the devil. It was horrible. 
<laughs> but they would watch Blue's Clues. And I think it was Blue's Clues that they would show the same episode for five days. Like every day, it was the same episode. Now, finally, it took me about five weeks to catch on to this. I'm like, haven't we seen this episode already? And my wife finally told me, yeah, but they show it every day so the kids can learn. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's making me want to hurt somebody. Like throw out my TV because you hear the same, you know, that same song every day. But what are they doing? They're repeating that. It's repetition. They're, they're imitating that, and they're learning. And I realized that for many of us, what Paul is saying is, hey, you know what? I know you might not know how to grow in your walk with Christ. What he's saying is, imitate me. You just begin to act like me. It's not going to be perfect, but as you do, you're going to learn the ins and outs. You're going to figure out the steps you need to take. You're going to figure out where you need to go and how you need to act and some of those kind of things. And he's trying to help them understand that we are developed through imitation a lot of times. Now, Lord, help you if you act exactly like me, and that's not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is, sometimes we need a place to start. Sometimes we need to figure out, how, how do you pray? Well, pray like you hear other people pray. That's a place to start. And then God will help develop that and work through that. Verse 18 says, For many of whom I have often told, I'm sorry, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, if you look back, um, in the passage Pastor Dick talked about last week in chapter 3, verse 2, he talks about the Judaizers, and he talks about them being evildoers and talks about them being mutilators of the flesh and different things like that. Um, that's, he's referencing back to the, those people. He's saying, hey, they look like they're doing good work, but really they're not. Um, he said their end is destruction. So what he's saying is at the end, as religious as they seem and as they act, at the end of time, their judgment is going to be destruction. Because no matter how religious they are, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, at the end of time, that's what they're going to be facing. He says their God is their belly because all they were concerned with was the here and now. They were concerned about how do I look, how do things seem. They were worried about what they were getting instead of what they were giving and how they were serving. He said their glory is in their shame with mindsets on earthly things. Again, they're, they're worried about the here and now. They're not worried about what are the eternal consequences of our actions. This is what it says in verse 20. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And the reason this, this wording is so important is, again, Paul was talking to a Roman colony. And Roman citizens took a lot of pride in their Roman heritage. They took a lot of pride in being uh, and having Caesar as their leader. And so they found their identity and their citizenship as Roman Roman citizens. And have you ever met, my wife is from Texas, so I can say this. And babe, if you're watching online right now, I love you very much. And we can talk when you get home. Um, but have you ever met somebody from Texas? Ask them about the state of Texas. And they're going to, they start bowing up. Their buttons like barely hold on. And Texas is great. And they can list off facts about Texas. And they can tell you, I mean, the biggest, it's this, it's that. And it's, and it's great. There's a lot of reasons people should be proud if you're from Texas. But I'm just saying, there's so much pride there. Now, people from Pennsylvania have some of that too, Oklahoma. We all have a little bit of that. Texas is just different. It's like a different country down there or something. And this is kind of what the people of Philippi had. They were proud as citizens of Rome. They were proud of their heritage and who they were. And Paul's saying to them, hey, you understand what it means to be a citizen of Rome, but he said our true citizenship is in heaven. So he's saying, don't find your identity in your heritage here on earth. Find your identity in, in who you are in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any difference 
who your mom and dad is. They, they might have been the greatest parents ever. They might have been the worst parents ever. But when you become a Christian, you are a child of the Most High God. And that's what your heritage is. And he says, from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, Paul, when he's talking about maturity, he's not talking about someday when we get to heaven, we're going to experience great things. Now that's part of it. But what he's saying is as we mature in Christ, we're going to experience the fullness of God here on earth. Um, there's nothing worse to me than Christians that are just miserable to be around. And man, they just don't have any joy. They're just angry or bitter or upset or golly, like that's just discouraging. It just sucks the life out of you. But just the opposite is true too. When somebody's growing in their walk with Christ, even if they're a brand new Christian, they're growing in their walk with Christ. Isn't that the best to be around somebody who's just excited about life? They have joy in, in the, their actions and what they're a part of, and they're just excited to be there, right? It's life and de- I mean, there's difference. It's life and death. It's totally different there. And that's what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to become mature in our walk with God so we can see things in a way that have the right perspective. Let me hit a couple of things, and this is probably not going to be terribly popular, but that's okay. Um, this begs the question then, how do we mature in our walk with Christ? Right? So we know what the goal is. We know that we need to become mature in Christ. So how do we do that? Can I give you three basic steps for how you can begin to grow in your walk with Christ? The first thing you can do is get into healthy relationships. Begin to develop Godly, healthy relationships. And this is why. Um, if I asked you to name your five favorite sermons you've ever heard in your life, maybe a few of you could. Maybe. Most of you could not, including me. I, I do sermons every week. I probably couldn't name five of my favorite sermons. Why? Because sermons are important. The Word of God is important, and it impacts us. It's important for change. But relationships are the context under which we really grow and develop in our walk with Christ. If you don't believe me, ask yourself this. Can I name five people who have impacted and helped grow my life? Absolutely. You absolutely can name that. If you can't, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. But probably everybody in this room could say, oh, yeah, I can name five people. My mom, my grandma, my pastor. my you know, And you could go through a list of people who have spoken into you and encouraged you and challenged you and helped you grow in your relationship with Christ. And we see by the New Testament example that relationships were vitally important to people's growth in their walk with God. Now, can you be a Christian and go to heaven without going to church? Yeah, I think you can. I think you can make it to heaven without ever going to church. Is that God's best for your life? No, it's not. That's not what God intends for us. God wants us to come together, not just corporately on a Sunday, but God wants us to do life together. He wants us to experience everything he's got for us together. He wants us to have relationships where we can experience the best and worst in life with people. When, when you're going through your worst, don't you wish there was somebody that could walk up beside you and just put their arm around you and say, hey, I, I know where you're at and I love you. I'm here for you. And really mean it? That's what's supposed to happen in a church. Aren't you thankful for people when you're celebrating great things are happening in your life? You've got a, a wedding that you had or whether you had a grandbaby or a new baby born in your family that somebody can show up at the hospital and put their arms around you. And they're not even paid to do that. It's somebody that's part of your church and they just love you. Isn't that fantastic? Why? Because we are hardwired for relationships. We talked about this a few months ago. Um, I'll go ahead and mention this. In the month of October, we're going to launch home groups. 
and they're not going to be here at the church. They're going to be outside of our church. Some of you have already been approached about this. Some of you will be approached about this. But we're going to have groups that we want you to connect with other people in to build relationships. Why? Because relationships are a vehicle to help us grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. I know more about God because of the relationships I have with other people. Relationships are vital. Healthy relationships are vital to your growth and development in Jesus Christ. If you're serious about growing in God, you have to be serious about building relationships with godly believers. I was hoping I would get a little more of a response, but that's okay. I'm good. Um, The second part. The first part is relationships. The second part is... uh, this is probably going to be your favorite part, I would imagine. Um, let me read this verse to you. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. It says, this is Jesus talking, mind you. Jesus, okay? Just want to make that clear. This isn't what I'm telling you. It's what Jesus is saying. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the second part, we have to learn how to give. And I'm not talking about your time or ability. I'm talking about your money. Now, if you're part of the summit and you've been coming a while, you know we're not high pressure here. We, we don't try to coerce you or pressure you or anything like that. Because to be honest with you, uh, God is providing for this church. This is God's church. It's not my church. He's going to take care of this place, whether you give or not. The question is, do you want to walk in the blessing that God's got for you by giving? Um, and, and what Jesus says here is so apt. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And sometimes I hear this misquote and people say, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. But that's not true at all. Where we invest our finances a lot of times is what we care about. Um, my girls, before we moved up here, they were in dance and th- we had a dance uh, school in our church. And so they would do major productions every year. And the last year we were there, my girls were in different productions. So they, they had to stagger them. There were so many kids. So I got to see, I think I got to see six productions of Beauty and the Beast um, in two weekends. Now, I love the arts, but I'm not dying to go to six productions of Beauty and the Beast. I don't know if you know that about me. I'm a little bit uncultured. Uh, I wasn't dying to do that. But why did I do that? Well, number one, I was invested there financially. Like, we'd been paying some pretty good money for our girls to be involved in the school. So I wanted to go and see. If, if we're paying the money, I'm going to go get pictures. <laughs> so, so I'm going. But my girls loved it. So I'm invested there because they are in it, and we're spending our money there. So why am I doing that? Because I'm invested there. I cared about its outcome because I was pouring money into it. You've got stocks. If, you're, if you like to trade stocks or bonds, things like that, if you've ever invested, even if it's just a little bit, you ever find yourself flipping over to MSNBC or Fox Business or something like that to check the ticker? Like, okay, hey, we're up two cents. Woohoo! Right? What difference does it make? It's not that big a deal, but it is because why? You're invested there. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, I do try to do a good job of this, but when I was at my last church, um, I didn't keep track of giving. I didn't scour the giving every day to see or anything like that. It wasn't like that. But I would look at giving once in a while. And it would usually go like this. I would get an email from somebody, and it would say, you're a blank, and I hate your guts, and da-da-da-da-da, and something like that. And so this is why I'm going to not come to your church anymore. This is why you're of the devil, or whatever it is. And I've been a member here since 1972 or whatever. And so I'd, okay, good. And so I'd immediately go to the giving records. <laughs> and I would look to see if they're a giver. Was it because I needed ammunition against them? No, not at all. But I wanted to see where is their heart? Is their heart in this thing? Or is this kind of like a person at a restaurant who's sending back 
a piece of fish they don't like. Because there's a big difference between somebody who contributes and somebody who consumes. And so I would look to see what their giving was because then I'd know how to respond. Because if, if they were giving, man, I would respond and go, hey, listen, I want to talk to you about this. And if they weren't, then a lot of times I would go, hmm, all right, because they're just sending back a piece of fish. They're not trying to make the thing better. See, an investor wants to, wants to help things get better because they're part of the solution. But somebody who consumes, they just want to complain. <laughs> I had this guy call one time. This is, let me just warn you, this was not the Holy Spirit, by the way. Um, this was my flesh. I had this guy call, and he was just chewing me out. He didn't like, he was going through his laundry list of things he didn't like. And, um, and I, was, I was being gracious. I felt like I was being gracious. I was, you know, listening to him. And the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge was when he said, my tithe pays your salary. So while I had him on the phone, I and I pulled up his giving record, and it was not godly. But um, I looked, and I said, man, Brent, thank you so much. I just want you to know you're right. You know, you're giving. It does support this church. I'm thankful for that, and I appreciate that. And I said, I've got two things I need to tell you there. Number one, um, I am thankful that God has sustained you supernaturally these last two years with $470. He's You've lived off $470 because you've tithed $47. So that is, that's supernatural. I'm so thankful. I, I need you to write a book about how God has sustained you supernaturally with $470 for two years. I, I'm just, I'm amazed by that. And I said, but, you know, I make more than $47, so there are other people that contribute to that. And that was a really short conversation. It did not go very long. But I felt like he was asking for it. I had to go there. Is it just about money? No, absolutely not. But I think a lot of times God knows that the path to our heart is blocked by our wallet. That he wants every part of us. Not so we can um, keep the lights on or pay salaries, but God wants every part of your life. He's ruthless. He doesn't want to share any part of you. And that includes our finances. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Can I, can I tell you something? The people who probably give the most to this church are probably the people that complain the least. Now, they might come to me and say, hey, why are we doing that? Why are we changing this? Why are we moving in this direction? But there's a very different attitude between you better not and, hey, let me talk about this, because there's a partnership versus a consumer. Does that make sense? God doesn't want us to be consumers. He wants us to be contributors. So if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, begin to give. And see what God will do. Okay, I'm done with that portion. You can breathe now. The last part, real quickly, is serve. God wants us to serve. As we serve, we become more like him. Because that's really what, Jesus, what Paul is talking about, becoming more like Jesus. How do we become like Jesus? By putting others first, by serving others. Uh, we see in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I'm the Son of God but I didn't come so you could serve me. I came to serve you. If Jesus can have that attitude, how much more should we have that attitude? I, I'm not the son of God. I should be willing to say, hey, I'm going to serve you any way I can. I'm going to help you any way I can because that's what we should do as families in Jesus. As we serve, we become more like God. We develop in our relationships with the people we're serving with. 
It just is easier for us to grow when we are serving. So if you are interested in growing in your relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you, get into godly relationships. Begin to give. There we go. So if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, if you want to mature, you need to develop healthy relationships. You need to begin to give, and you need to serve. Find some place to serve. Find some place to get plugged in, connected, because you will grow in the context of all these three things. You know, I said it a couple weeks ago, and I think it bears repeating in the context of this message, but Peter Haas is the pastor of Substance Church in Minnesota. Great church growing, doing a lot of great things in their community. But he said this. He said, if you're unhappy with your walk with God, maybe it's time to take off your bib and put on your apron. And I just want to encourage you. If you're not happy with your growth and your walk with God, if you're unhappy with how you're maturing in Jesus, maybe you need to look and say, how can I serve instead of how can I expect to be served every week? How, how can I contribute instead of consume? Because when we contribute, we're going to grow. Whether you want to or not, you're going to grow in your walk with God. I read a story this last week of a young boy and his family during the Depression. They were saving up money for a dozen eggs, and they just did not have the money, so they were saving and tucking money away and saving and saving. Finally, um, the, the mother sent this young boy to go get the eggs from the grocery store. And as he was coming out of the grocery store, out of the market, he tripped and fell and shattered all the eggs on the sidewalk. And he wasn't hurt, but he began to weep uncontrollably as he sat there. And he saw these broken eggs on the sidewalk, and he knew what the implications were for his family, what they had lost. And he was just crying and crying and crying. And, and onlookers would walk by, and some of them would stop and say, hey, are you okay? Do you need anything? Can I, do you need something? And people were showing care, but nobody was really helping or doing anything. And so finally, the, a man walked up, and he dug deep into his pocket, and he pulled out a quarter, and he handed it to the boy. And he said, I care a quarter, how much do you care? And it's easy for us to say, hey, I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Hey, I want to be more like Jesus. But are you willing to take action to see it happen? Are you willing to pay the price to see it happen? Because all of us, there's not a secret what the weight loss is, right? You, you exercise more and you eat less. Like, hello, I know what it is, but do I want it bad enough to do it? Apparently I haven't, Right? All of us know what the secret to growth in our relationship with Jesus is, but the question is, are we willing to pay the price to grow? Are we happy just skimming into heaven by the skin of our teeth, just getting there? Because God's got more for you than that. When Paul talks to the church at Philippi, that's what he wants. He wants them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And he outlines that. He makes it clear this is the goal for you. It's not just to get to heaven, but it's to grow and become like him. That's what the goal is for you as well, to become like Jesus you can share in his resurrection and his death and his suffering as well, taking the good with the bad so you can become like him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you love us today, that you care for us, that you want us to grow in you, and that you're not satisfied with us just getting by. And so, Lord, I'm asking today that you would begin to, to challenge our hearts, that you would help us see what your best for us is. God, I pray that you would 
Lord, take some of the words that, that might have been spoken today that, that, that people could have taken in an offensive way. Lord, help them see the heart behind it. It's not to be offensive, but to just share your word. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would just tenderize our hearts, soften them, let us hear from you, let us respond to you, and I pray that more than anything else, God, we would become more like you. Lord, let us know the goal for, that you have for our lives is to grow in you, become more like you, and look more like you every day. So, God, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with less than that. And if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed for a few minutes. I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you say, Mel, um, you know, I'm not even really sure I'm a Christian. Maybe you have been to church before. Maybe you've said a prayer before, but you say, man, I'm not really walking with Jesus. I'm definitely not growing in my relationship, and I need to get some things right with God today. I've got some, I've got unrepentant sin in my life that I need to get right. I need to make some changes, and I need God's help in that. So I need to get some things right with him. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, pray for me. I need to get some things right with Jesus today. Thank you in the back. Who else? Thank you over the balcony. I appreciate that. Who else says that's me? Thank you down here in the center. I appreciate you, sir. You put your hand Fantastic. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Say, that's me. Thanks. Up there in the balcony. I see you. Awesome. All right. If you're watching online and you know the Spirit is speaking to you right now, we're going to say some very simple prayer here at the Summit Church. And I just want you to repeat this prayer. We're all going to pray this together. So everybody in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. At my very worst, I commit to give you my best. I don't want to just say a prayer, but I want to be in a relationship with you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for washing me. Thank you for making me whole. I commit to pursue you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. All right, now... Do me one more favor. Bow your head real quick. If you're here and you say, I'm a Christian, but man, I'm not growing in my walk with God, and I know there's some steps I need to take if I really want to see growth in my life. And I'm going to take the action. I'm, I'm going to do what I need to to begin to see growth in my life. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me? Pray for me now as I make those steps. Thank you. Yeah, several hands. All right. Thank you all over the room. Thank you so much. Let me just pray a prayer over you. Jesus, thank you for those who said they're not satisfied with where they're at with you. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit begin to empower them and strengthen them. Lord, that they would be able to take the steps that they need to take to begin to grow in you like they want to, Father. And I pray that every single day they become 